0: The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Church family, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to find your place in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 15. And this morning we're looking at verses 16 through 32. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. And this morning I'm preaching on the subject, Lessons from Calvary lessons from calvary and our passage that we're looking at this morning uh, mark the gospel writer describes uh, the crucifixion of our Lord and in doing so he talks about uh, the cruel beatings Jesus endured as well a, as well as a lot of the the mocking and the insults he endured and mark gave this account uh, to share with his readers uh, God's plan of salvation. He wanted to remind people that Jesus was the Lamb of God who came into the world, uh, not just to show the way to God, but to make a way to God by dying for humanity's sin. Uh, But Mark also wrote about the crucifixion in order to encourage his first century readers. If if you know a little bit about the New Testament, you know that the Gospel of Mark was written predominantly to a Gentile audience. Uh, The recipients of this Gospel account, all four Gospels are unique in different ways, the recipients of this Gospel account were predominantly Gentile individuals, non-Jewish people. Uh, The the recipients, many believe, were Roman Christians. And, And Mark knew that many of those Gentile readers, many within the Roman Empire who received his letter were facing persecution because of their faith. Many were being ostracized, ridiculed, criticized, called names, and Mark wanted to encourage them with his gospel account. So, so Mark here tells of Jesus' death to remind us of how we have salvation from sin and death through Christ, but he also reminds us of Jesus' crucifixion so that we can know about how Jesus can give us strength and help in our daily life as Christians. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. So Mark reminds us we we need to remember the crucifixion. We need to remember what Jesus did on our behalf. There are a lot of great lessons we can learn by looking to Calvary. I can still remember when I was in elementary school, on a certain occasion, driving to school at Chapman Elementary. My mom was here this morning, and I was in her Ford Thunderbird. And we were going to uh, school, and we were stopped at the stoplight and getting ready to turn left. And there was a car in front of me. My siblings, you'd have to know, make fun of me for my memory. I was talking to my sister this past week, and I said, do you remember when? She said, nobody can keep up with your memory. You remember the craziest things. So I, I was, we were sitting in this car, and there was a car in front of us. We were getting ready to turn left, and I remember reading the bumper sticker. It said, Jesus died for you. And I remember as a kid, I could tell maybe I was going to be a preacher. I thought, well, now that's a weird statement. Why would somebody have a bumper sticker talking about somebody dying? That's so weird. Now, I'd heard Bible stories, and grown up in church, but it just seemed strange to me. And I remember not fully comprehending what it meant that Jesus died for me. It wasn't until years later that I began to understand this idea of Jesus being a substitute on my behalf. And even after that, even after becoming a Christian and living the Christian life for a while... It took time for me to to understand the full implications of Calvary and what all Jesus accomplished by going to the cross. And I'm aware today that there are individuals perhaps in this room who have never come face to face with the fact that Jesus died for them. They've never been saved. What's more, there's potentially Christians here who aren't really living in light of Calvary. You may be a Christian, but you don't have the full freedom and joy and victory that comes from Christ because you're not aware of what all Jesus did at Calvary. Let's consider some lessons from Calvary. What are some things we can learn? Number one this morning, I want us to see this truth. Mankind is really messed up. Here's our first lesson. Mankind is really messed. Messed up. Turn to your neighbor, look at him, and say, you're messed up. (laughs) Turn back to them and say, uh, shut your mouth, you're messed up too. (laughs) Now our our text, Mark, is uh, very intentional here to remind us of how messed up humanity is. And that may seem like a negative statement or a negative reality, but it should be really encouraging for us. To remember that we're in a, we live in a broken world. I think there's a lot of Christians today living in frustration. A lot of Christians who are uh, given into negativity because they're, listen, they're expecting way too much out of this old broken world. Mankind is really messed up. Let's look at the narrative, verse number 16. It says, the soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together now that may seem like well just another event in the crucifixion scene but this is um, really unique here you you see the soldiers are leading jesus away to give him another beating uh, the guards if you were to look back in verse 15 were simply told to transport jesus to the crucifixion scene look at verse 15 at what the bible says it says wanting to satisfy the crowd Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to what? To be crucified. Now according to Roman law, when one was given the death sentence, one was flogged, and then one was handed over immediately to be crucified. But we see here in verse 16 that the guards have some time to kill, So they decide to beat Jesus a second time. They decide to make sport of him. They decide to deal with their boredom by taking an innocent man who has already been beaten and to beat him again. Many would say after that customary flogging that a victim would be hardly able to walk. Yet here the soldiers decide to beat Jesus again. They call the whole company together. The language in the Greek refers to a division of soldiers in the Roman army, known as a cohort. A cohort contained around 500 soldiers. So get the picture here. They take Jesus to a courtyard within the governor's residence. And it's a private area. No one's going to see what's going on here. And these are soldiers... And they, they take Jesus into this open courtyard and they gather around 500 of uh, their fellow soldiers around Jesus to beat him further, to mock him, to spite him. And this is all the way for them just to have some fun. Verse 17 says they dressed him in a purple robe. Many would believe that this was one of the soldiers' robes. The, the Roman soldier, many of them would have a purple cloak. Perhaps this one was well worn and faded and they place it on Jesus. Why? They knew Jesus' death sentence. They knew why he had been sentenced to death. He had been charged with treason against Rome because he had claimed to be king of the Jews, king of Judea. And that was a capital offense against the empire worthy of death. And so they mock him. They're not Jews. In fact, many of these soldiers would have despised the Jews. And so it's fun for them to place this garment on Jesus and to mock him and to say, you think you're a king over us? You think you have jurisdiction over this empire? How dare you insult Rome? They twisted a crown of thorns as well, and they put it on him. Now, much is made of the pain that was probably endured from this crown, and indeed it was painful, but many believe that this was what is now known as a Syrian Christ thorn. And this uh, type of uh, thorn was white in color with uh, thorns that were around a tenth of an inch in length. And these were placed upon Jesus' head. And the, the soldiers probably did this intentionally. This light colored thorn was a good mock representation of a golden diadem. They did all of this to mock Jesus. Verses, verse 18 continues, they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They were paying him homage. The Greek word translated homage is the one used of the, at the royal inauguration of the Caesars. And here the Roman soldiers are engaging in gestures that were normally reserved for that occasion. In a world in which it was believed that kings ruled by divine right, individuals were used to bowing before their king. And so here the soldiers are mocking Jesus and mocking his supposed claims at kingship. And verse 20 says. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and they put his clothes on him. We learned that they had stripped Jesus once and back in verse 17, taking his clothes off of him in order to put these, this kingly attire on him. Now here they strip him naked again. Now, now think about Jesus and all he endured on your behalf. The, and on top of that, the indignity our Lord endured on our behalf. The soldiers knew that According to Jewish custom, it would not be tolerated for Jesus to be ushered throughout the streets naked. So they clothe him here again and they take him into streets ready to parade him to Golgotha. Now we see this cruel behavior. The parts of these soldiers, these men acting like debased individuals, taking a a victim After he had already been beaten and flogged and can hardly walk, here they are beating him again, making sport of him, uttering uh, such horrible things to him, spitting on him, treating him like an animal. As we read this text, we can perhaps feel our blood pressure elevate and think, how could someone treat someone in such a way? How could someone treat our Lord in this way? What would motivate soldiers or men to beat a poor, hurting, and helpless man who had done nothing wrong and who could barely walk? When we ask these questions, we have to realize that it was their sin that caused them to act this way. And we see here that Mark within his story concerning the the crucifixion has nested within his story a reminder of why Jesus had to die. Uh, The narrative demonstrates the entire reason that Jesus came to earth in the first place. Jesus died for individuals like these men in our text Jesus had to come to earth because but for the grace of God we are all like these men Jesus had to die because all of humanity is messed up all of humanity is broken scripture says in Romans 3 10 there is no one righteous no not one Scripture says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And none of us measure up to God's standard of perfection. All of us say, think, and do things that displease Him. We're all imperfect, and He's perfect. We're all finite, and He is infinite. And as we look at these men and how they treated Jesus, we're reminded of the condition of humankind. We're reminded of what's gone wrong with our world. I think of Chuck Colson, his great book, How Now Shall We Live? And in that book, he says there's questions that every worldview seeks to answer, and Christianity gives the best answer to those questions. The first question, every worldview, every system of religion, every philosophy Seeks to answer is this, what's gone wrong with the world? I mean, look around, watch the news, analyze social media, consider your own struggles, and you have to ask, what has gone wrong with the world? And the Bible here reminds us what's gone wrong with the world. It's that three-letter word, sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are broken, the world's messed up, we are imperfect. Our thought processes, our emotions are all skewed. We see here that Jesus, even in his beatings, he demonstrates a gospel lesson. He shows that sin is what's wrong with our world. Mankind is messed up and broken. These men remind us that no sin is off limits for the soul that is estranged from God. Until we understand this truth, we don't really understand the gospel. Jesus, here in his death, reminds us we live in a broken world. And friends, get this. You'll never have the joy of Jesus until you just accept it. This world's an imperfect place. You'll give in to the jaded negativity that's out there, even among professing believers, until you understand this world is sinful, but thanks be to God that Jesus came to put away sin. Mankind is really messed up, number one. Number two, this morning, we see another gospel lesson from our text. We're reminded that Jesus was cursed for us. Jesus was cursed for us. Look at verse number 20, how it continues. It says, they led him out to crucify him. So Jesus had been flogged, verse 15. Then he's beaten in private. They actually do it kind of in a hidden way so that others... Don't see what they're doing 500 soldiers beat jesus in private then they lead him out to crucify him He's made to walk to Golgotha. This was a common custom at the time And as they walked verse 21, they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus cross He was simon of cyrene the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now notice they they force this man, Simon, says he's of Cyrene, an area in North Africa. He's perhaps in town for the Passover festival, the Passover festivities. And he's coming from the countryside. It seems he was staying in the countryside as Jesus and his disciples were staying in Bethany during the Holy Week. He comes into town perhaps to run some errands and he is forced by the Romans to carry Jesus' cross. The word force is a strong one. It was a legal word that spoke of, used to speak of the way in which Roman soldiers could draft or enlist someone into involuntary service at a moment's notice. Jesus actually spoke of this Roman legal custom and Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, when he spoke of, he, he said, if someone tells you to go one mile with them, go two. And here we see Simon being forced to carry Jesus' cross. Why? Because Jesus couldn't carry it. Jesus had been beaten so badly by the second beating, he couldn't fulfill the requirement of carrying his cross. Now, Simon here gives us, a, a, a hint to some gospel truth. By carrying Jesus' cross on Jesus' behalf, he reminds us in a way of the substitutionary work involved in Jesus' death. He gives a sort of preview and reminds us that Jesus went to the cross not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve to die for our sin. The text continues, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Here Jesus would be crucified. History tells us that the Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans are the ones who really perfected it. You you see, when it comes to capital punishment nowadays, in, in our society we think of capital punishment and we think, well, it needs to be done in the most expedient fashion possible you need to to have the victim die in the most humane way possible that's how our legal system often thinks but in a roman world the romans thought differently they thought let's have a form of capital punishment that is as horrible as possible let's have the most painful form of execution. Uh, Let's have a way of putting people to death that will make all shudder and think before they dare break the law. Uh, See, the Romans knew they had this vast empire and they needed to keep their subjects under control. So when it came to something like treason, the reason Jesus was sentenced to die, let's make the death so horrific that one will be less likely to commit the crime. One says that when it comes to crucifixion, it was one of the most, listen, quote, historian, most horrifying forms of execution ever devised. The victim of crucifixion did not die from wounds in the hands or from the beating. Normally, one died from asphyxiation. As one hung on the cross, he or she Eventually could not breathe because the body, the muscle fibers became so weak from hanging. Dehydration set in and one could not breathe. Why? Because the hanging posture made it impossible to breathe. And one normally stayed alive by lifting or hoisting him or herself up on the cross to breathe. And after catching one's breath, one would then sink on the cross in time because of dehydration and weakness one was no a- no longer able to lift his or her body and one would slowly expire yet it jesus died in this horrific way for me and for you because of our sin and our imperfection we deserve eternal alienation from god but god created a plan of salvation he so loved the world john 3:16 that he gave his only begotten son to die in our place, to take the death and separation from God we deserve. As Jesus was on the cross, verse 23 says, they tried to give him wine. They mixed it with myrrh, but he did not take it. Uh, One gospel writer says Jesus tasted this beverage and then he refused it. This... The drink was a concoction made of alcoholic wine and myrrh in the first century. Some believe that this mix created some sort of narcotic effect. It seems that perhaps the soldiers gave this drink hoping that it would ease the pain of their victims, provide some relief, maybe drug them to a degree. We see that Jesus said no. Why did Jesus say no to this drink? He said no for good reason. He knew that it was his lot to suffer for our sins. And he knew a drunken man, Ephesians five eighteen cannot serve as a righteous and holy substitute. Uh, Jesus knew with conviction he had to endure pain in order to rescue us from sin and death. See Jesus in this passage, willingly embracing the horror of the cross for you and for me and for our sin. Scripture continues in verse 25. It says it was nine in the morning. It's the third hour by the Jewish reckoning of time. And there was inscription of the charge written against him. And it said, the king Of the Jews the first century world when the Romans crucified someone they would have a sign made and as that individual left the scene of the flogging the sign was hung around uh, the victim's neck and the sign would announce uh, the charge against the criminal and as the criminal was paraded throughout the streets he had to wear the sign announcing to all the reason for which he died. Now, Jesus' sign was written in Aramaic. It was written in Greek and Latin as well. So that anyone speaking any of those languages, those three languages uh, were spoken in this region. So anyone seeing the, the sign would know the reason for the criminal's death. And Jesus' sign, we read, said, the king of the Jews. Now, Jesus was charged with treason, charged with making himself out to be a a zealot leader against the Romans. And the criminal would have to wear this sign to the place of the crucifixion. When he was crucified, it was removed and then affixed to the cross so that anyone who passed by would know the reason for capital punishment. And the Romans knew this was a great deterrent against crime and against insurrectionists. Notice Jesus here is falsely charged for a crime he did not commit. And we're reminded by Scripture that he went to the cross. The one who did no sin became sin for us, as Scripture says, so that we might become righteous before God. Scripture continues in verse 27. It says, they crucified him with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Oftentimes we refer to these guys as thieves, we speak of the thieves at the cross. Many believe the language really refers to insurrectionists, freedom fighters, guys who were caught trying to form a conspiracy against the Roman government. We know scripture tells us, Isaiah fifty-three twelve that this was all a fulfillment of prophecy hundreds of years in advance. Oh, know it this morning, the Bible's a book like unlike any other book, hundreds of years in advance. The prophets had foretold that Jesus, the Messiah, would be put to death amongst criminals. Now, this type of death for Jews in Jesus' day was a shame. It was evidence in their mind of divine curse. There was no way one could die on a cross and expect to go into the afterlife with God, with Yahweh. If one died upon a cross, it was sure evidence that one was cut off from God and had no portion with the Lord. It was evidence that one had been assigned a portion with the doom. The Lord was intentional in having his son crucified in this way because he wanted to make it clear that his son, the Messiah, embraced condemnation on our behalf. He was accursed of God so that no man, no boy, no girl, no woman has to be accursed of God. Scripture teaches us in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Get this great truth of Scripture. Jesus died on your behalf. He was cursed on your behalf. He was doomed on your behalf. He hung there separated from God so that this morning you don't have to be separated from God. Your soul can have a one-on-one connection with the Creator of all things. He experienced pain and shame so that you can be freed of all of the pain and shame that comes with sin. He stood condemned in your place. He took your place. And today you can have joy, peace, freedom, and forgiveness. You can be released from all condemnation and shame. You can live with purpose and direction and hope in life, all because Jesus took your place. I can remember for me, this is when the, eye, when the gospel became clear to my eyes. Like I said earlier, I knew Jesus died. For years, I knew he was a good man. For years, I believed he was the Son of God, but it wasn't until I understood the way in which He took my place that I really experienced the life-changing power of Christ. Friend, this morning, have you ever been saved? Have you ever been born again? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about being involved in church or being baptized or going to church when you grow up. I'm talking about, has there ever been that time in your life where you called out to God, believing That Jesus took your place, that he died for your sins. Have you ever been born again? And if you have this morning and you're a Christian, I ask you, are you living in light of all of this? Are you in bondage to shame and bitterness, unforgiveness and guilt this morning? Could it be that you need to get your eyes on the cross and realize all that Jesus has done for you? Jesus was cursed on our behalf Uh, lastly this morning we see one last gospel lesson I want you to see this we can say it like this number three when we face hard times we have a great example when we face hard times we have a great example we see this in verses 29 through 32 look there in the text it says those who passed by were yelling insults at him shaking their heads and saying ha the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself by coming down from the cross in the same way the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying he saved others but he cannot save himself let the messiah the king of israel come down from the cross so that we may see and believe and even those who were crucified with him taunted him now notice what's going on in these verses first of all you can notice that mark is intentional to show each of these different groups calling into question jesus role as prophet priest and king remember what all jesus has done for you he's the ultimate prophet sent from god who gives The truth of God. He is the ultimate priest from God, interceding on our behalf before God the Father, and he's ultimately the ultimate king from God. One day he will make a new heaven and a new earth, and he will righteously reign on this earth, and we will live in a perfect paradise with King Jesus forever and ever. Satan loves to call all of those things into question, and he wants to make you doubt those things as well. Jesus is indeed despite the criticisms the ultimate prophet priest and king but Notice also that Jesus is criticized from all different groups of people. He's criticized verse number 25 29 from people that are just merely passing by People going about their daily business. They're hurling insults at Jesus on their way to the market He's criticized also in the same way, verse 31, by chief priests and scribes, by the power brokers, the politicians, the religious leaders of his day. He's lastly criticized in verse 32 by those who were crucified with him. Mere criminals are even criticizing Jesus. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel as if the whole world is against you? Do you ever sit back and think, man, I got problems at work, I got problems with the family, I got problems with my kids, I got problems with my neighbors. Man, I'm not even sure my dog likes me anymore. Sometimes we can feel like that in life. Hey, good news, Jesus has felt the same way. Notice in verse 31, it says, in the same way the chief priests and the scribes were mocking with him, listen to these words, among themselves. It means they had huddled up in a little circle and they were actually patting themselves on the back congratulating. They had back, go read Mark chapter 3 verse 6, there was an unholy alliance by the Herodians, the political leaders of the day, and the religious leaders, the scribes and pharisees as well. They had been plotting ever since Mark 3 verse 6 to have Jesus put to death And now their scheme had finally come to fruition. They felt like they had won. And they were talking secretly, congratulating themselves. Do you ever have imaginations and wondering who's secretly talking about you? Don't worry about it. Don't even go there. Jesus has been there on your behalf. You can stand in his love and stand secure. In him. Notice how Mark draws attention at the end of verse 32. He says, Last sentence, even those who were crucified with him taunted him. It's as if Mark's saying, If it wasn't enough for the passerbys, if it wasn't enough for the chief priests and scribes to criticize Jesus, even the criminals were making fun of him. Now we know one would la- later change his tune and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus would pronounce forgiveness over that man's life and say, Surely, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. But notice Mark's aim here. He is diligent to present Jesus, listen, as dying utterly alone, totally rejected, and completely ridiculed by humankind. What what is Mark getting at? He knows that his original audience, remember? They're Romans. They've got a cruel emperor. They've got friends who are hostile to the gospel mark knows that many of his original recipients had been persecuted and mocked for their faith perhaps some had lost jobs perhaps some had been cut off from their families and mark wanted to encourage him. he wanted to remind them to hang in there hey you're going through tough times people in society are hostile to the christian faith Seems like the whole world is against Jesus. Just hang in there because the whole world was against him when he was on the cross. Oh, get your wits about you, Christian. Get a right biblical perspective. Know that even when the whole world is against Jesus and they seem to be against you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And remember the biblical account and here in the midst of all this white noise in society, what Scripture says, Hebrews twelve three, it says this, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Do you ever listen to the news and feel like giving up? Do you ever scan social media and see some of the nonsense on there and just feel like quitting? I have, I've done deleted all the apps off my phone. I even disabled safari so I can't get on the internet and I'll admit every once in a while, I gotta see what's going on, who's saying what. And then I think, man, I should have kept it all disabled. No good looking at all that. Hey, do you ever feel like giving up? Do you hear all the chatter, all the white noise and allow it to get you down? here in the midst of all of that, what the Bible says this morning. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. So if you feel overwhelmed by the pressures and problems, the confusion and corruption of life in a dark world, fix your eyes on the suffering Jesus. Place the eyes of faith on him. And know this, when the eyes of faith are on Jesus, the Lord has promised something supernatural happens. The Holy Spirit is activated when the eyes of faith are on Jesus and something happens in the soul. Romans 1.17, Galatians 5.22. When there is faith, the Holy Spirit can produce the virtue, the comfort, and the peace of Jesus in your soul. Think about what Jesus endured on your behalf in worship and through faith and you'll be better equipped to carry on remember how he pressed through and endured on your behalf and you will find holy ghost energy to press on you will find strength and weary strength and comfort for your weary soul for more information visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org thanks for listening